0: You're listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals.
1: Welcome to episode 46 of Tax Talks. This is Heidi Robson. On the 1st of March 2018, the Australian Financial Review published an article about technical innovation in Australian law firms. It listed 38 of the 50 law firms who had responded to the AFR Law Partnership Survey. The survey question had been, is your firm investing in automation or AI technology? And most firms answered with a clear yes. The AFR article focused on three firms in particular, IBM, Baker McKenzie, and especially Meridian Lawyers. So I was keen to find out what Meridian Lawyers is actually doing. But you might wonder why. We are not lawyers, but tax professionals. So why do we worry about what Australian law firms are doing? And this is how I see it. Think about how similar the work in tax, accounting and legal practices really is. We all provide professional services and deal with clients, documents, billings and margin squeeze. So it is worth looking over the fence to see what is happening next door. Maybe they thought of something we didn't. Hence my meeting with Paul Baker and Zyla Yu of Meridian Lawyers to find out more. Paul is the managing principal of Meridian and Xyle is the head of innovation and special projects.
0: So just to explain that, so our practice, we're a fast-growing practice, put on 28 people in the last six weeks, another five starting next week. It's, oh wow, it's, it's enormous. But the challenge we've got as a law firm, and law firms have generally, is that the ability to charge hourly rates, which has been the traditional way that law firms have have charged their clients, is still the way that clients have been charged, but the ability to increase those rates, there's a real impediment there. The The market's not really happy to pay more and more and more. So our hourly rates have effectively plateaued. But my operational costs of running the business, salaries, premises, all your your other things that go into running a professional services business, much like operating a tax practice, a professional services practice, they're increasing. So I'm getting margin squeeze uh, on the profit line. So the way in which I've had to grow my profit is to grow my client base, and have a greater number of um, seats occupied at a lower profit margin per seat. so that's what's given rise. The other thing is that lawyers only charge when they're actually working on a matter. So once they go home, clock's off, the business isn't generating revenue. So the need to effectively address that and the need to have opportunities to gain revenue, um, revenue flows when you're asleep, you know, when you're on the beach when you're away on holidays, I think is even more critical, again, looking at new ways of doing business. So that's the background which really gives rise to the genesis of it's not so much what we we were doing that was wrong, it's really what we need to do as a business to be more dynamic and really um, address the challenges of operating that we have. So I just thought that was really important insofar as just setting the scene. It's almost come across as a necessity, but it was, it's was it been waiting there, out there. The light hadn't quite gone on for a while, it's fair to say, for as a business, that it became readily apparent to me that the need for us to adapt to client expectations, to work more efficiently, to use technology to actually enhance our, not only our client service offering, but our internal operations um, processes, it was being foisted on us as a matter of financial necessity, but also from a client-offering perspective. We need, and lawyers need, and professional services need to act far more smartly with regard to how they provide their legal services. And that comes back to my earlier comment about we generate our revenue sitting at a desk. If we're not at our desk or in court or at a client's premises working on a matter, we can't generate revenue. So the ability for us to have... Processes which allow us to capture revenue through automation, through online offerings, became a necessity for us to really invest in that. And I think that that's been the undoing of a lot of the firms that have adopted the more traditional approach of one secretary to two lawyers, all had offices, all approached their, the way in which they've worked the same way for the last 40, 50 years. You're going to die if you don't if you don't adapt. So this has been effectively a necessity for us to look at practicing smarter, improving operational efficiencies, using technology to enable us to, to have speed of delivery, achieve better outcomes for our clients through a whole range of IT and technology type options. Meridian Lawyers is a firm which is now thirteen years old. Sorry, I'm going to start that cut. Um, Brilliant Law is now 14 years old. Uh, we have uh, just on 140 staff. We have locations in Brisbane, Newcastle, Sydney, Melbourne, and Perth. We practice in predominantly in insurance, in commercial, in uh, which includes property, conveyancing, probate, commercial litigation, and employment law. We've got. Incorporated legal structure with three classes of shareholders being two external shareholders, Tedfast Group Limited and Gill Group Holdings Limited, as well as a number of our principals who have shares in the business. My dream is for all staff to have equity in the business. I think that that would really set us apart as a business. Our revenue base is is growing at around 20% per annum per year, year on year. That of itself presents challenges as to culture. So it's a, it's a, a really happy collegiate principal group that we've got in Firm.
1: Do you usually represent the insured or the insurer?
0: The insurer, yes. Mm-hmm. We've streamlined our operational efficiencies our processes, our document recording, our uploading of documents, our access to key information to run our business, the accounts payable automation, then that's on...
1: Billing, I think. Yes,
0: and the billing. And so they're the internal internal operations, whereas the external market-facing experience is the development of these online platforms and the revenue creation that derives from that through distributing through our shareholders. and and general public.
1: I'm keen to understand the before and after, but it's probably very difficult to explain to me what the before looked like because there isn't a clear line in the sand. I can imagine it was a constant process of innovation and changing, so it's probably very difficult to give me an idea of what before looked like, but could you try? Uh, Certainly.
0: Look, Perhaps I can couch it this way in answering that question. I'm in my 50s, I am like a lot in my generation, a little bit IT illiterate. I get to my desk, I turn on the computer and hope it works, and if it doesn't, call out help. So the ability for me to understand what options were out there was quite challenging. So here I was knowing we had to do something, knowing we had to embrace technology, knowing we had to improve efficiencies, but not really knowing what what was there, what, what, what could we do in order to achieve that. So that's where we bring in, you know, the younger brigade, the, the specialists and, and someone like Zile, for example, who's um, a lawyer, but at the same time, absolutely top class when it comes to IT and technology and understanding of what, what is out there. We've brought in some consultants to assist us in effectively Giving us options about did you know for example that you could have a an app whereby a client gets within fifty meters of your business it texts you say your client's fifty meters away and get ready to re- treat the reception things like that that think you really so it was the unknown. Which about what we could actually do, which scared me to an extent, because I, I'm this dinosaur when it comes to to IT and understanding the nuances. So oh, I paint you- that in in the picture of where we were before was we were very much a traditional law firm. We had well, we all have offices, we have secretaries, uh, we have a phone, we have a computer, um, and we work away. We do our file work, we dictate our letters, uh, we um, put it onto tape. It was typed out, we signed the letters, and out they went.
1: And you had paper files?
0: Yes, and we still had paper files for a lot of our business because 84% of our revenue was in the insurance space. So it's, uh, it's hard in some of the work that we do to have paperless files. Not in all areas, but certainly in that insurance area has been more challenging. Some firms seem to be able to be achieving that aim and that's something that i'd like to look at but it's not a priority for us but the priority for us is using the technology so where we've gone from is this more traditional you hop into an office you've got your textbooks on the in the library in on in the corridor you you hop in and you dictate away and your secretary types your letters you get your letters at the end of the day you sign them she goes down to the post office Post them off and away you go. You've obviously gone to email. You've obviously gone to scanning documents. You've obviously gone to digital dictation, Dragon mm-hmm. dictation. All our lawyers now have Dragon dictation, so that's speed of service. You go to the automatisation of processes. So a number of those processes involve uploading of documents to our document management system. So instead of being a four-step process, it's now a one-step process ease of access to financial and accounting information. So dashboards, development of dashboards that are on your computer, which mean that you don't have to ring accounts. Someone goes and sources the, the information, and then rings you back or emails you back. It's, it's immediacy of access. And that of itself means that my finance team isn't being inundated with requests for information, which Technology allows to be as a dashboard on the, the screen of the, uh, of any of our staff members. The automation of processing of fees, bills. We have one client that we give probably a thousand to fifteen hundred bills a month to. Probably fifteen hundred, actually, when I think about it. We automate that. So the drafts come out through an automated process. That saves time. It saves cost but it also means that uh, the operational efficiencies are improved. So there, there's just a few things of where we've gone from to where we've come to, and I haven't even scratched the surface with some of the other things we're working on.
1: How did you know which consultants to talk to? Because I think that's the first mm. big hurdle if, you, if you're sitting in front of a problem like this, even knowing who to ask and who to trust and... Mm.
0: That's where the reliance on the expertise comes in. So someone like Zile, he's the one that talks their language. Uh, we do have an external consultant. And Glenn Mason, um, what was he? He's Palwinko, isn't he? he um, he's been amazing. They, they all know their network. They know the providers. It's quite a club. It's a bit like law firms. You know all the good firms and mm-hmm. who have got the best reputation. In this case from a, from my management perspective I've had to rely on those that have the know-how and those relationships to be guided by that. Heidi I think it's really important that if you're running a business you've got to know your strengths and your weaknesses and you've got to use those strengths and so people like Zaha you know, as you mentioned it's quite obvious he's got the the technology the drive the experience expertise to enable us then to link into who are the other experts we need to know through his connections and through other connections that they have. So it comes back to the fact that it's moving so quickly that I suppose my concern is, well, put in place some technology in the next 12 months, that might be outdated in 24 months' time. So we're trying to knock over one project at at a time and get it up and running rather than doing 25 projects at one time, because the concern is that a number of those projects could be done more efficiently, enhance enhance not only revenue opportunity, but the client experience if we don't delay it.
1: You mentioned a number of initiatives before one was the dragon dictation.
0: Dragon's been around for ages so it's not really innovation as such.
1: With respect to documents you hinted at that you are still on paper documents which not surprises fully. Yeah, me. Not
0: fully, we use obviously a document uh, management system called iManage. iManage is probably used by 80% of law firms around the country. That actually helps when we employ staff because of familiarity with the with the system at that admin level. But there are uh, there are um, enhancements that we look at making to that system, the ability to load documents straight into the system from a scan Scan to I-manage, for example. The ability to extract data, client information, templates. Uh, templates is a big thing. When we're doing hundreds of letters a day to clients to be able to pull up the template, and look, it's not, not modern science doing it, but things like that of streamlining the process... The document management system not only gives us the library of information where we can store files and have paperless files, but it also gives the ability to, to enhance the ability to load that system up with information on files uh, in an electronic way to streamline the delivery through templates and other processes. How, as a tax professional, can I generate income when I'm not in the office? And that's through, I think, some documents that they might be able to put together or work with a law firm with to develop, and that's I see the opportunity for for us to enhance their client offer and to look at speed of delivery and those sorts of things. Yeah. Well, it was just a thought. For
1: example, trustees, company constitutions, etc. Yeah.
0: Okay. yeah um, so with regard to document storage, traditionally we've had paper files. You get the archive box and you code it all up, and you on your finance system you um, have a archive number and it goes off to a warehouse and you pay a fortune for storage. We do a lot of child care claim, insurance claims, so it's not as if we can tra- uh, delete or um, not delete, the- destroy our, our those files within seven years, which is normally the norm. I understand the law society say 10 years is preferable, but I think most firms do it at seven. But for child care, we've got to then look at 18 years. Uh, when are they going to turn, attain? 18 years. Uh, when are they going to attain the 18 years? Then we allow an extra three years because of limitation period issues. So we can have to, in the past or currently, store files for up to 21 years. So the attendant cost on that is absolutely massive. So what we are looking at, and this is another separate project, is what a lot of firms have done. And again, we're a little bit behind the times. Being completely honest about that, that looking at our scanning of our files electronically to store them because the cost pressures are just are just significant. You know, when we're, we're putting out 100 boxes a uh, for archiving a month and then you multiply that by a year and then you multiply that, we're trying to have the childcare ones that are kept for 21 years in certain boxes and things, but that takes time. So you can see the administrative, huge administrative tasks ahead and challenges. So if we're practising smart, automating that, having it scanned, automatically scanned, having it electronically stored is just obvious. We should have been, we should have done it before now. Are you
1: allowed, legally allowed, to yes. just produce scanned copies yes. in court? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so then there's no legal hurdle that stops you from... Not that I'm aware up. of, no. Yeah. Because
0: I so know a lot of the other firms already do that.
1: Oh, okay. Yes. So at the moment, you still store paper files
0: yes although in some for some matters we do have electronic storage so we are on the way but for the when we look at 80% 80 plus percent of our file or revenue base being in paper file type matters we have to change clearly have to change mm. yeah. and quickly
1: yes yeah. but it's difficult to change everything at once yeah. you know you have to start somewhere so you started yeah. with accounts payable and yeah. um, Automated document creation, etc. And now comes the autumn document storage.
0: So, to give you an example, Heidi, we uh, we had a list of twenty five projects that we felt were priority one, which is quite daunting for a firm our size. What we've been doing is ticking them off one by one, and we've been working on more than one at a time, but. It's a matter of prioritising what is the quick win from a, an efficiency perspective, from a staff experience perspective, because, you know, that, that, that also goes to morale and culture where, you know, if things are working more efficiently and there's an excitement within the business, it, it's a great place to work, so that environment's been critical. So we've been certainly putting those into the mix to make sure that everyone can see the progress. Uh, things like, uh, a simple like, all our staff have laptops, so anyone can hot desk. Now, there's nothing novel about that. For a law firm, it is novel. There's because not...
1: you, because law firms used to have two screens and yes, screwed yes. to the desk.
0: So we still have two screens, but you can go to any desk and you will be able to go Do to, to any desk. Do you have stand-up desks? Uh, no, we don't. Not in not in Sydney, but something we're about to move premises and something that again is important. Even if someone asked for a treadmill. If they have a little treadmill under their desk, <laughs> well, okay, it's a bit novel. Not sure about the occupational wealth, uh, work, health and safety uh, issues, but um, but th- that, that's where we've been trying to prioritise. So, what's material for the for financial, for efficiency, for culture, for morale. And for the work experience, and you know something I'm proud about is that our, we've got an amazing team here and an amazing engagement score, and we're growing rapidly. As I mentioned before, we put on we will by the end of the month in eight weeks. We put on 33 staff is quite quite uh, a challenge yeah. in maintaining that culture, and and again you want the the first experience of these new new team members to be really positive because if you get on the wrong foot, you're playing catch up for a while. So that's all part of the challenge and why we need to do this.
1: I have the feeling that, yes, you did a little bit around document storage, but your main focus is actually on innovation in other areas.
0: absolutely. Mm. Which it has to be, Uh, because I think that the, the law firms need to adapt and offer those things. They're still providing legal advice, they're still providing access to the public to get expert advice but it's the way, the mode in which it's being provided is is broadened. Because mm-hmm. I think
1: there are several initiatives. You've already spent a million or so on mm-hmm. other initiatives, and then the next initiative is, is another 1.7 million that are to be spent on the automated document system. Correct. So the automated document system hasn't been built yet, Uh, it's in the making? It
0: has been built, but we're still trialling it before we release it. We're looking at three separate areas, and you might feel free to look at three distinct areas (laughs) of offer.
2: What Paul is um, referring to is our new venture to enter the the online document automation market, and that will be the provision of automated Wills, for example, and then from that platform down the track, we'll have other various documents such as employment agreements and a whole range of commercial documents. I believe many of them would be quite relevant to tax
0: professionals. Why are we going for Wills initially? Because Wills you think, well, why Wills when you're an insurance law firm with commercial, commercial litigation, employment, property offering? Our shareholders, so Guild Superannuation Services, have 90-odd thousand members the ability for us to distribute wills through that distribution channel. And it won't be branded Meridian because it's not our core business and we don't want to confuse the market with Meridian. So it enables us to white label that for, for, um, for the Guild Superannuation Services client base. And Steadfast, who have thousands and thousands of members and a network of brokers and Steadfast Life being um, the life insurance agency, we're able also to white label through the same bot, the brand in the Steadfast name for those, uh, for those members. So we have a distribution channel. And to me, we're leveraging that shareholder connection, hence why Wills is the number one request from our shareholders that we can actually value add as a legal service those businesses and their offering by providing the service.
1: When we talk about automated online documentation systems, I was thinking mainly of storage. But what it actually is more about is the creation of those documents. So I kind of was on the wrong ship.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's all right. Well, it's both actually. So the internal is more your documents and automation. Your external is your revenue creation through having online documents and templates that you can sell and which, if they get too complicated, trigger referral back into a lawyer to give appropriate advice. But where you have some documents being able to done, be done, completed online for a nominal cost, you're actually, with the volume, again, through our distribution channels, probably, oh gee, if I said in excess of 250,000 people, probably more than that, when I look at our network, we've got that network who can actually, our shareholders can push them out to our clients, they're their clients, and, benefit their business and value attraction for their client base but create revenue for us
1: for document storage you already had some technical solutions i manage etc that helped you manage your documents and that is going to be innovated has that already been re-engineered or is that going to be re-engineered or that's ticking along at the moment with the solutions you have
2: that is in the process of being Re-engineered. What
1: will that revamp look like? Give me a feel for what oh. that revamp of the extra storage of oh. documents will look like.
2: What this uh, revamp would look like in the future is there will be a lot of processes that will no longer be required, will no longer require man- manual inputs. So there will be workflows, there will be automation, and both of those will combine with each other to enhance the delivery of services so that Lawyers and support staff have more free time to focus on the things that really matter, things that you Advice. know ad- advise, mm-hmm. you know, things that improve the client experience. So, so that um, you know, there's the internal efficiency
0: component, but there's also the the improvement of delivery services component too. The automated accounts system is probably the biggest enhancement that I can think of to the to the practice management system. So. Mm-hmm. What will happen is, and it's being tested at the moment, so we've got a May launch date, which is very exciting, but effectively it's it's an RPA, uh, Robotic Processing Account System, where an account will come in, our accounts will come in, they will be scanned. The robot will effectively identify the matter to which it needs to be allocated, whether it's on the general ledger, whether it's on a particular matter. If it's on a particular matter, it will scan it direct to our accounts management, sorry, our practice management system. It will then trigger a payment function for review. So it it automates completely the accounts payable system for our business. When you're a business now of 140 staff, the sheer volume of of finance, and particularly with insurance claims, where you have doctor's reports, subpoenaed records, you get hundreds and hundreds of accounts a day. The, The ability to process and streamline that is another enhancement reduces the cost of running I'll probably reduce and it will reduce the need for us to continue to put another finance head or bum on seat as we grow because we can actually get better scale out of the existing team by having the right person doing the right job at the right level but also having the robot or the automated process more efficiently do that those functions for us
1: this is a very <laughs> dumb question now, but, and I know I'm wrong, but that's where where I struggle to understand. My gut feeling is the only accounts payable you would have is rent and wages. What other accounts payable do you have?
0: Oh, well... Um, because we, you
1: you mentioned doctor's bills, et cetera, but you're yes. not paying those doctor bills. They might be to prove a claim, et cetera, but you wouldn't be so paying the doctors, would you?
0: If we're Yes, we are. So if we're defending a claim for a health professional who's been sued for negligence... We might have court filing fees to file documents, file a defence, file subpoenas. We might need records from doctors. We have expert reports where we go and get expert opinion. So in the tax, oh, okay. tax area, we might have to go to a tax specialist to get their report and advice on what a claim is worth or what the loss of income might be. We have to pay that. While we might be ultimately do a disbursement note for our client. This process also issues disbursement notes. So it, it other other invoices that we get in uh, are yeah, stationary and uh and general operation office expenses. Yeah, you know, the Friday night drinks bill. Um things that, that oh, okay. go to running the yeah. business. So it's it's accounts on the general ledger. An operational ledger as well as accounts that we receive in running matters. Filing fees for PPSR searches, for land tax, for land titles office, for conveyance, for uh, standard form contracts we get from the Law Society. It goes on and on and on. So it's
1: actually a paper nightmare.
0: It's a huge, it's a huge volume of paper that from administrative burden is non income producing but is purely administrative which we are really trying to take out of play and have automated, which is where so far so good, but we get that in, in May this year. My personal view is that it's going to save us uh, not only a lot of headache from an accuracy and a perspective because it, it's that learned behaviour that the, the yeah. bot has.
1: So how did you know that could be automated?
0: Through our experts, through our our consultants. So we we did an in-depth analysis of what were the big challenges in our business. And one of the big (coughs) challenges in our business came back to the fact that we had to limit the head count that was non-revenue producing, or when I say limited, not grow it as fast as we have traditionally. I used the analogy before of one secretary to two solicitors. We need to go to one secretary to four or five solicitors, but having them doing the high-end work and the high-quality work, not only job satisfaction results, but right person, right level, right job. So by using technology to actually improve our efficiencies. So that was one recommendation that we came up with. I see. Yeah. So
1: when you when you met with your consultants and you went through all the pain points, accounts payable was one area where you could see you were spending a lot of money yes. on admin work um, that cost you yeah. cost you money and then the consultants said we can actually automate exactly. that and save you time.
0: We also had some staff forums and that was fascinating because there were things that were so it was quick wins. Not all not only to do with Documentation and, and automation, but things about why we've got the paper stored when we've got four printers in one spot on the floor. I spend, you know, twice a week, I, you know, three or four people go around to collect paper. So it was just practicing smarter. It was actually a whole reflective overview of where can we improve things. We, some years ago, and this is talking against ourselves as a business, because we were well behind the times, we were writing our timesheets out and having a secretary record them onto our system. Wow. Well, took one secretary years, so five or six hours a day to do it. Mm. Whereas now it's real-time, online, everyone does it as you go. That's saving five hours a day. And mm. uh,
1: um, when you say real-time f- with timesheets, what do you mean? Do you mean the system automatically records what client somebody is working on?
0: Yes, so we do direct-to-our-system online recording, effectively, yes.
1: So if Zyle accesses a letter or writes a letter that is addressed to Mrs. Smith, then the computer immediately records the time he spends well, you writing have- that letter directly to Mrs. Smith's time, time account.
0: I wish it was quite that simple no we still need to have a code so L for letter or EM for email or A double T for attendance so it's automated we've got to push certain buttons but enter the claim number still the matter number on which our time is recorded
1: I see so you have an app on on the computer and every time you start a new task you tell the app okay now I'm working on Mrs Smith's letter
0: yes. and we're also launching a mobile phone recording system in May May's a big month for us which will allow to do that remotely as well if we're working at home because you get a capturing time we're finding we're losing a lot of time that's being lost in the the delay particularly when you're working remotely so actually having that same system replicator on a mobile phone is we hope an enhancement again it's another example of why we're trying to do things a bit differently and a bit smarter.
1: So we covered accounts payable, we covered time recording. Coming back to documents, I haven't 100% understood yet how the document storage system is changing, but let's put that aside. Then the other area that you are, that and I think that's a big thing for you, is basically the automation of document creation. So the automatic creation of wheels, etc. Can you tell me how that
2: works? Looking from an internal perspective, document automation, when I was uh, mentioning workflows and automation working together, this is what we're trying to roll out soon. What will happen is um, imagine I'm a junior lawyer, I walk in the office, I turn on my computer, and there will be a list of everything that I I will need to do. It will tell me, email so-and-so, draft these letters, all that at a push a button.
1: How will it know? How will the system know
2: that that's what you need to do? Because of automated workflows. So that workflow will link up to my partner and my other team members, so everyone can see the progress on a specific matter. So that I could push a button, and then that program will gather all the data that's needed to populate all those fields in that letter, or that document, will come out. And then I'll take a look at it, I'll change what I need to, Hit another button and it'll go to my partner to settle it. So that's that's the future. Mm-hmm. And then the time recording and all that other stuff would also be built into and, and it'll be captured. Mm-hmm. So that's I guess the, the future that we're trying to move towards internally. Externally, in relation to the, the online Wills platform, what we're creating is, and this is um you know Paul's idea and and I believe he's he's a visionary in this respect. We're trying to create a one-stop shop for anyone who wishes to access legal documents, whether it be um, from a network or tax professionals, anyone. They can come in, select which document, sort of like a supermarket for legal documents, select which document. There will be various questions, they questions need to answer that need, need to answer. And also a very, um, and this is what uh, we're working on right now, a very user very intuitive user interface whereby it should be seamless that process should be seamless like you know picking up your phone and 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 using it that you you don't need a manual you, and and something that you want to use time and time
0: again well, Heidi, the, the challenge for us is trying to be completely satisfied that what we are providing is what the client wants there's a lot of what we're doing here isn't exactly novel in a lot of respects. Where we're trying to uh, differentiate what we will be doing is living inside the distribution network and things like that is the fact that it's intuitive, that we use a chatbot, that it we make it the experience of completing the documents easy, efficient, and that it, it's, it's really there to attract those who will then refer on word of mouth. So that's the challenge of just not having an online document. Well, there's nothing really novel about that. There's plenty of those out there. It's more about how can we make sure that this is the one they go to and what the time is being spent and why we're piloting it is make is getting that feedback. You know, what did you like about the experience? What didn't you like about the experience? Did you like this approach? Did you like that approach? So we could have launched months ago. It's more about Getting this right, because I think we get one shot at it. It's a bit like a new client uses you for a matter. You want to knock their socks off. And this is what we're trying to do. We want to knock their socks off when we actually go live. That's why we've delayed the go live while we make sure that that experience is what the client and consumer wants.
1: So if Mrs. Smith needs a will, she goes online onto your platform, answers a few questions, Mm -hmm and then receives the document. Would she have support? You mentioned a chat button. Chatbot. Oh, yeah, chatbot. So then she can ask questions. The chatbot, would that be AI or would that be an actual
2: person on the other side? The chatbot will will need a lot of training to be able to know when Mr. Smith can watch a video, also on our website, or when Mr. Smith needs to be directed to speak to a real
0: lawyer. So if we look at the online wills example, the online ability to complete a will, it will be a very standard will. It might be individuals. It might be married couples without children. It might be married couples with children who want equal shares. Nothing that's too complex. But where, so it's, it's catering for that market. And again, that links in a bit to the shareholders and what they've said their market is and what their clients need and who, what their profile is but also from a revenue creation perspective where the lawyer is involved, the more complex ones will be referred through, as I said. So we're, we're trying to provide a market offering in an area for a dynamic that we understand and profile of, of client that our shelves have and want and need. So there's a market there, appreciating that it might be in 50% of the instances where they, you know, you need legal advice, but the fact that we've got a lot of the template completed and a lot of that legwork already done, it's going to limit the cost attaching to the advice provided, because a lot of legwork has been completed. So it's it's trying to enhance that client experience there, keep it cost effective and competitive.
1: I don't know. Is that quite new to the legal profession? Because. We already have quite a few players around tax documents, so trust deeds, company constitutions, et cetera, already out online. They're offered by several providers with different levels of support. Is that already out there in the legal sphere and you're just offering a better yeah, user experience or are you one are of the first? There are plenty of
0: excellent offers out there and it's not new. In, in a number of these respects, I think it's a bit like websites. Perhaps I can use that as an analogy. Whereas websites in the past been very static, you go from page to page with voluminous information. You look at where websites have come to now with regard to voice recognition, bot chat bots, videos. The whole user experience has changed. Where I think those pioneers. In a number of cases, not in all cases, but a number of cases, they haven't kept up with those developments. So they've had, a, they've been progressive, and they've been innovative, and they've been ahead of the market. Where we see the opportunity is actually to look at the latest technology, the latest approach, the latest ability to use the the innovation in and offer in that respect to enhance the client offer and and really to make it competitive and attractive. Mm.
1: You mentioned that they are very clear workflows so that when you come in the morning, it shows you exactly what you need to do. I can imagine that only works for part of your business, though, because in- another part would still be quite creative, wouldn't be clear workflows beforehand, wouldn't it?
0: So uh, to answer that, one thing we've got to be careful not to do is to take away the ability of our lawyers to use their training experience, knowledge and and really expertise. And think Uh,
1: outside of the box. Exactly.
0: So one thing to have templates and to give consistency of of delivery from a a visual perspective, that's part of the template experience for us. So we do a lot of insurer work where you've got claims managers, high volume reports who need to go to paragraph six or, or section three or section four of a report where we make their life easy. So that's what we're trying to do, is make our clients' life easier to streamline their time spent in in going through and, and providing, uh, reviewing advice and giving instructions. But the flip side is, within those parameters, we need to make sure that our lawyers don't feel that they're robots, that they're effectively just processing, that they can use their strategy and their skill and their experience to actually make a difference. So that's a balancing act. but. I think it's fair to say my perspective and view on this initiative from a a document workflow processing uh, perspective is more about trying to standardise how our advice looks to our clients, which helps them, but not take away that individualism. Where the documentation automation works best is in our commercial and our property team. So we do a lot of leasing, got an amazing client base there. And there are the ability to have, uh, not standardised leases, but have leases where you pull clause three, five, seven, and that's, that, that effectively is where there's a huge work saving. You're not having to retype everything. Contracts where you're doing acquisitions of businesses or sales of businesses or partnership agreements. There's a lot of standard clauses there. So it's, it's again having that repository and that library to be able to streamline the process of what clauses do I need for this particular contract and having that automated rather than as it used to be until not, not too long ago and still occurs in some <coughs> firms where, oh, we need a partnership agreement where well, we start off and they start typing. And that obviously is, is, uh, not cost-effective to do that in this environment where cost pressures are so significant on professional services.
1: In the AFR article where I learned about your initiatives, it was mentioned that for professional firms, the return on innovation is at a rate of at three point five. So, for every thousand dollars spent there's a commercial return of $3,500. Does that match your experience? Because that's an enormous return.
0: It is an enormous return. I'm not sure where they got that figure from. And I, I hand on heart couldn't say as at today that I could give you a figure or a, a return because... We're, we've got so many of these projects that just kicked off. So many are still embryonic. Some we haven't really seen the value attaching because we're we're effectively doing it the old way as well as the new way while we test. And a number that are still in the development phase. We're obviously doing this to make money and get a return because we have to...
1: But it's difficult to put a dollar value on it. Absolutely.
0: Very difficult. I, you know, I, certainly on our, our forecasting we will get a significant return. I haven't worked out the percentage, but certainly the old R minus E equals P is in the positive, but also in so far as headcount. If you've got an average cost per employee with on costs of you know ninety nine thousand nine hundred and sixty nine dollars, you want that to go down, not up. So uh, that's what we're trying to work on. It's it's all those little it's it's hundreds of little things that go into the mix to make the make the return work.
2: Hmm. And then the other thing about the concept of value, it's very hard to quantify in just dollar terms.
1: The article I referred to before, it listed 37 legal firms, and you can tell I'm a nerd because I counted it. I like it, It, <laughs> it counted 37 uh, legal firms and described what these are, are doing. Does it make sense that every firm tries to find their own solution because you correct me if I'm wrong i think you spent about a million dollars so far and you're going to spend another 1.7 million and i can imagine the other firms are spending similar high amounts um, do you think it makes sense because every firm is so unique and has different pain points etc or do you think they will actually at some stage there will come a time when more integrated turnkey solutions will hit the market and it will be less painful for legal firms to to automate.
0: I looked at that list. Perhaps we can answer it this way. I looked at that list and I thought a number of the firms are doing what they simply need to do operationally. I didn't see that there was anything startling in, in the approach they were taking. There were some that were very strategic and some that really clearly are showing... A commitment to to improve efficiencies and the client experience. There are a, a number of firms who are at the forefront, and they're well down the track. You know, they're at third base, whereas a lot of the firms on this list are at first base. Um, that have clearly defined themselves and created a reputation of being innovative, cutting edge, solutions focused, etc. So, to, to answer your question, I think that it's fair to say that. There are some firms where this is not nothing novel. Uh, I wouldn't say it's an investment in innovation or technology. It's more an in, investment in, in reviewing their processes. Whereas there are some that are clearly trying within the dynamic of their client base to have a, a, a different proposition for their clients. So I look through this list at the moment. There are some that are smaller boutique firms with particular practice areas that Trying to do what we're doing. I think it's fair to say as far as investing in strategic initiatives with with technology to be a different value proposition for their clients.
1: AI was also mentioned in the article, but I have the feeling that a lot of it is not AI, but just moving from paper to online or...
2: Well, that's the thing. Like you said, AI is something that everyone's uh, like, it's a buzzword and everything from, you know, simple um, automated processes um, to what is probably more like real AI, which is deep learning or, or, you know, very advanced cognitive based functions, you know, everything in that spectrum is termed AI. But at the simple end of things, you have, you know, a process with rules, okay? But at the more advanced state of things, you actually have... Um, what machine, I would, learning. machine learning and, and, and where you, the more data that you put into that machine or, or robot or program they will learn from it and then you overlay that learning with a set of rules so that every time that you um, tell it to do a task it will give you the right task so that's more advanced AI and you even have the next stage of, which is even more advanced where it will learn what it needs to learn without you telling it so so you know, AI is a very broad spectrum. I think machine learning has only recently really taken off in about 2008, 2009. So that that's, you know, there's been about, what, 10, a bit less than 10 years worth of um, progress in, in that field, but it's getting to a stage where it is becoming quite advanced. But like Paul was saying earlier, if you are able to understand how to, to use technology, should provide that client experience which is extraordinary. I think that is, um, that's true innovation. Because innovation's never about how much monetary terms are like in this article that lists a lot of firms and there's a lot of money here. Innovation's never about your R&D budget size, but it's about understanding the market and understanding your customers.
0: I should add there that you know, with our shareholders, we've got access to capital and a commitment that if we need more than what we've we've set aside or figured we would need side we will have access to that. Again, that's another enhancement to our model and the ability to uh, access capital, whereas in a standard partnership, it's the partners who are foregoing, they'll take an overdraft. Have,
1: a, have to put a mortgage on yes. their home. Yes,
0: or, or foregoing draws or, mm. or foregoing um, you know, their, their income to an extent. So that's another... That I makes
1: you very powerful.
0: It, it may, Well, it, it positions us really, really well to be able to capture the opportunity and progress the opportunity.
1: Coming back to AI, yeah. do you think AI will hit the legal industry quite soon or is it already there? I have the feeling it's not really there yet. But do you think it's coming soon, or?
2: So, so I, I I tend to agree with you. So most of what you know AI is being termed as is those lower level processes with, with rules based, and that's currently where most of AI is currently sitting at. Let's say because there is just the need for enormous volume of data to you know train those machines on the on the other end of the spectrum to train those um advanced machines to perform very complex functions. So there is not that much take up on, on the advanced end of the spectrum. But mm. within the next few years on the other hand, and with the enormous availability of data which is um which will come, then AI will then be able to perform more and more advanced functions and you know, will be able to perform more and more of a professional's tasks.
1: Mm. And the step the uh, industry goes through at the moment, meaning uh, streamlining processes, automating processes, etc., probably lays the ground for AI being able to being screwed on top later on.
0: There are a few firms that have pioneered AI that that are much further advanced than than others uh, but i agree with you I, the the opportunity hasn't yet been executed fully and nor is the potential been reached the, the challenge is when to pull the the wind cord because i i suppose i i'm concerned from our perspective as a, as a firm of meridian that we don't overdo it that we still have that personal touch and that relationship touch because personal relationships with your clients are critical and by having a lot of those steps overtaken by AI and other things is is one thing, but it's something that I'm monitoring and will monitor very closely because otherwise I think that will be overdoing it. So that's a challenge, balancing it.
1: I've never (laughs) met a tax practice that is as innovative as you.
0: Well, my concern for them is if they don't change, there will be there'll be younger operators that come in who have like Zile's expertise, who will look at ways of doing differently and to be a different proposition for the client base. You know, I appreciate the challenges tax presents, but they have. If ever there was an area of profession where this could work, and where they could actually embrace and and have a value proposition different from their competitors, and where they could actually create revenue without having to uh, sit at their desk, it's got to be tax. It's just got to be. To me, I'm surprised by that comment because I would have thought that if ever there was an opportunity for a practice area, particularly, and I appreciate the challenges, the Tax Act changes all the time, and those that I know do tax law, I admire them, how they keep up with all of the changes. But if you have that learned behaviour, if you use automation, if you're able to somehow tap the challenges, the changes through... That information being automatically lifted from from um, the legislation into a into an automated process. Gee, how how good would that be? You know, I think where we've gone as a as, a, as professions, we had all onshore. Then number went offshore and looked at back back office arrangements and other offices being done offshore because it was cheaper. I think offshore will lose its way, and I think we. This is where technology and automation, AI, will will effectively overcome that even that cost saving. Uh, there's even more cost saving through through technology.
1: Your outside perspective is that tax law has a lot more oh, yes. changes than other,
0: yeah. oh, I, no, other I don't, areas. That's why they're able to charge so much. Um, yeah, They are experts in their field, and, and the you look at the uh, the budget that comes out every year and the amount of tax changes that go there, and what year does that apply, oh, I'm in awe because it's such a technical area.
1: So it doesn't happen like this in other areas of law?
0: Not, I don't think at the speed or the... I just complexity.
1: assumed that it would, so it's interesting to hear that it doesn't.
0: Well, oh, you think so. Look, it certainly has changes, but... Tax because they're changing loopholes, they're, they're closing loopholes, and they're changing things so quickly and rates of of deductibility or this being not deductible, part of it being deductible, what you can claim for, what you can't, all that. It's it's a massive area, and no wonder the tax act is a couple of volumes thick. So oh, look, gut feel is yes, absolutely, it's an area of law that is at the forefront of volume of change, hence why it's so technical and why you've got to be so good at it and why they specialise. You think about tax specialists, there's not a lot of specialists in that area who do more than tax. I don't think it would be possible physically to, uh, or mentally to be able to do it.
1: Mm. Oh, I see, yeah. but in other areas, you quite yeah. often cover several yeah.
0: areas yes. of law. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Hackathons. Yeah, the,
2: the global legal hackathon. Yeah. 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 You You
1: must have been the only legal t- team that...
2: We, we participated a team in the hackathon. And, yeah, we, we we competed with um, teams from various big firms. Uh, from legal firms. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I see. Yeah. And then, and um, yeah, so.
1: So it's it's kind of a, a common side hobby for lawyers, for well, young lawyers, to to to, yeah. to attend hackathons and to code. That's yeah, and, amazing. And this
2: shows how I guess Paul's uh, initiative to, to nurture and develop um, the, the young lawyers here. Um, beyond um,
1: pure, pure, legal, pure, pure expertise. legal
0: expertise. See, interestingly, um, when I talk to managing partners, uh, there are in fact I can't think of any off the top of my head who have developed a head of innovation, head of technology uh, innovation, and uh, on you know, automation AI. So, what we want to do as a firm is promote that and harness that energy and that that drive that people like Zyle have. So by entering in those competitions, and they were very successful, they won two of the three prizes, you know, proud of that team effort, but also it profiles them and it, it, it's everything about brand and positioning. So it's, it's a clear strategy of ours to be seen as being one of the progressive firms in this area because as the younger generation come through, that's what they earn, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for that that non-traditional innovative exciting place to work And you look at some of these technology companies and what they've been able to achieve if we can get a mix of that as a law firm i think we're on a winner
1: hello Beck. do you remember paul talking a few minutes ago about meridian lawyers having two corporate shareholders steadfast in Guild?
0: we've got an incorporated legal structure with three classes of shareholders being two external shareholders, Tedfast Group Limited and Gill Group Holdings Limited, as well as a number of our principals who have uh, shares in the business. My dream is for all staff to have equity in the business. I think that that would really set us apart as a business.
1: Incorporating a professional practice is nothing new. It happens everywhere nowadays, but having two large corporate shareholders Imagine having two large corporate shareholders in your professional practice. That is a new idea. The topic just came up in our pre-interview chat and I didn't ask Paul much about it, which I regret now. But I think even these short comments on the side give a valuable insight, hence my desire to share this with you. So here's Paul about the benefits of having two corporate shareholders. We started
0: in 2004. Mm, April Fool's Day. <laughs> oh, that's good. I like that. <laughs> was that
1: a conscious decision? Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they wanted like me to that. start, I, I think, from memory. Uh, I don't think it was a Monday from memory like in 2004, but um, they wanted me to start on the 31st of March. No, oh, no, got to be, got to, give me a day, come on. Yeah. And so we started, yeah, 10 of 14. So we've gone 14 to what we'll be by the end of May, 140. So it's quite a meteoric growth spurt for us
1: judging from what i read about your history you didn't organically grow into your speciality of health and insurance law you started out as that's your speciality
0: yes so i was a partner of another law firm insurance law firm and that was predominantly the practice that that i had i had general insurance practice but health was really the focus in the allied health space in particular and my team came across with me in September 14 from my old firm, and we effectively went from one office to another one day from the next, and we kept going. So health was the genesis of the firm, and as we've had a new shareholder come in steadfast to Australia's largest insurance broking organisation, underwriting agency, absolutely amazing business, having them as a shareholder in our business has given us the ability to be more of a general insurance, commercial, commercial litigation, property um, team, uh, employment team.
1: And so for steadfast, you do all the legal work.
0: No, we don't. No, in fact, um, we do. A, a steadfast are a, a, a revenue creation, a revenue generator for us. But in terms
1: of that, they refer you.
0: Yes, they do. So they, they, for example, place insurance. They've got underwriting agencies, and underwriting agencies are effectively. A business name where they have a, a um, the ticket to write business insurance within a certain parameter of, of class. So, for example, let's take Nautilus, Nautilus Marine. Nautilus Marine are cargo and motorcycle and hull. So they're able to write insurance in that that spectrum. They can't write, you know, construction side or something like that. There's There's Mecon, who's a construction underwriting agency. But behind those underwriting agencies are insurers like AIG or. Vero or Zurich, etc., that that effectively are the security. So, Steadfast own those underwriting agencies, manage those underwriting agencies, and run those underwriting agencies through a dedicated team. We're one of a number of panel lawyers who are fortunate enough to do the claims on those binders. They also write a lot of business into London through a super binder with a number of select underwriters in London, Lawyers of London. We are one of the firms that does legal work. what on those binders. So what Steadfast have done, apart from being an amazing support for our business and assisting in our growth, they've allowed us to be focus on a more general insurance offering rather than just health. They've also opened the doors for our property team, our employment team. We might do conveyancing for their brokers, employment advice for their broker network. We um we uh might assist with the acquisition of certain businesses as we have in the past, although they've got a very good internal team that does that. And then when they've got a massive acquisition, they would generally go to one of the, the large firms, which is what their security that um, who provide capital require. Not little old Meridian, um, as far as um, our size. And, and really, it, it, it's horses for courses. But we, I couldn't question the support they've given us. Is this, really
1: is this quite unusual to have a corporate shareholder in a legal practice?
0: Yes, I, I'm personally I'm surprised that they there isn't more of it. Because really, for us, we've got two external shareholders, one being Guild Group Holdings Limited, the other being Steadfast Group Limited. Both give us significant revenue. The beauty is that in doing that, so we run claims for one of the subsidiaries of Guild Group Holdings called Guild Insurance. They're the largest allied health insurer in the country. So we run all their claims Australia-wide, we have consistency of service and offer and we build relationships and corporate history and effectively the value proposition to that insured basis, you've got an insurer and a law firm combined in offering that that package. We then generate a profit, I won't have a job if we don't, but (laughs) we then generate a profit and they get a dividend. So it actually reduces the cost of that insurer or that group running their claims. So it's quite a, it's got all these value add that that come not only from financial sense, but from a service and client experience sense, but also from a wider growth sense in that it attracts new business because of the fact that we are a little bit different. Mm. So we were one of the first firms actually that was an incorporated legal practice in New South Wales, and it gave us the ability to have that external capital invested into us.
1: Exactly, and I think that's why it's not so common yet because it has only been uh, become possible with the incorporation of legal practices and that hasn't been possible for a long time. And
0: yes, although it's 2004 that that, that legislation came oh, in, really? or 2003 it might be actually. Oh, so um, 15 years down the track... I
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you. I yes, thought it was a lot more recent no,
0: than that. No, no, so I, I, I'm, I'm surprised that there haven't been more... Not copycat, but more yeah, more corporate shareholders because to me, for the for the um, Gill Group, we get. 99.99% of their work. There's expectations of performance. If we don't perform, we, we get sacked. And obviously from a shareholder perspective, it's gotta work and we've gotta have that good firm experience and good client experience under service level agreements and and other management agreements. But for Steadfast, you know, being the largest insurance broker network in the country and just the sheer volume of revenue they create, that for us as a business is is just so exciting, but so unique. So uh, it's a it's a win win. It's Guild Group Holdings. Oh, so okay. Guild Group Holdings own Guild Insurance Limited, uh, and then they've got a shareholding interest in us as a legal firm.
1: So Guild Insurance probably sized down their legal department and outsourced a lot of, most of the legal work to you. Or yes,
0: exactly. You. So I've been fortunate enough to do insurance claims work for guild insurance since the 5th of March 1984 so it goes back a while um, been an amazing relationship and journey in watching their company grow from really being a specialist insurance provider for pharmacy to being a, an allied health service provider for the wider allied health network and then more broadly into other markets through asserta but yes they're they're the, they're the, our largest client but their revenue is is. Has probably plateaued to dropped a little bit over the last five years, as our other, use our other other revenue has grown quite significantly. So that's where the growth engine is through steadfast and through people joining us, like uh, Penny's team from um, from Trescox, um, who so I was a member of that team in the property and leasing area, through um, specialist teams in the medical uh, area joining us um, from other firms. So we've been our our model actually has been an attractor. For really good talent and really good lawyers, which then means that that's a snowball and compounding effect because it actually allows us to to grow as a business and grow our proposition for our client base. Because at the moment, law firms, I've not seen the turmoil, the extent of turmoil in in law firms that there has been in the last twelve months. We've had just in the last twelve months three long-standing, century-plus-length uh, uh, firms have been around, either fold or merge, been forced to merge. The insurance market... Well, who are they? well firms that have um, merged, you've obviously had Henry Davishaw merge with Norton Rose. You've had Dibs Barker, who I think some are going to... Gaydon's or Denton's. Others are going, I'm not sure where. Half the partnership, as I understand, is going to that firm, but I'm not sure where the others are going. We've had Trescox & Maddox, a wonderful firm with a great reputation and history that has rolled into HWL, Epsworth, had the merger of McCabe's and, um, and uh, Kerwood's. So there, are, there's just an example of four firms that are significant in their history, yet which have had to change and I suspect had to change for financial reasons.
1: Welcome back. If having corporate shareholders works well for a legal firm, it might also work well for some tax practices. In the next episode, episode 47, Daniel Mikhail of Partners Wealth Group will talk about pension strategies post-1st July 2017. Until then, thank you for listening. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.